Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Do you want to have less stress, sleep better, get fewer colds and flu, and avoid headaches and heartburn? Well, unless you're a masochist, of course you do. Well, here's the rub. You may be bringing on these health problems simply by trying to please others. You tend to routinely say yes whenever someone asks you to take on something new, no matter how busy, stressed out, or overwhelmed you may already be. If so, you may in fact be a people pleaser, and I'm not saying this as a compliment, because guess what? In fact, by taking on too much in the long run, you're not only punishing yourself, but undoubtedly you are not performing up to the maximum of your ability if you're stressed too spread out too thin. And my next guest, uh, Dr. Don McDonald, tells us the answer may be as simple as saying no to all these those obligations, chores, and social commitments where you are agreeing just to make other people happy, especially to tasks you're not especially good at or to those you don't feel very comfortable performing. And Dr. Don, as he is affectionately called, is himself a recovering people pleaser. He's a chiropractor for the past 17 years and continues with his wife, Brandy, in a thriving clinic in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And over the years, he realized that many patients were coming to his office because of stress-related conditions that was fueled by their own excess worries and inability to say no He's now a life coach and motivational speaker who dedicates self to empowerment, empowering folks like you and me in simple keys we need to break through the frustration into true lasting success. And he's author of the new book released last June titled The Underdog Curse, The Cause, The Cure, Your Road to Success. And hello, Dr. Don. Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Ah, Well, thanks very much for having me. Well, as we reach the final stages of winter and anticipate the reawakening of spring, it's a great time to talk about breaking out of that, uh, as you call it, the uh, life's plateau. And to begin, what's wrong with spending the bulk of our time and effort pleasing others? Isn't that what uh, what life's purpose and the golden rule is all about, uh, focusing on the wants and needs of others rather than uh, selfishly pursuing our own needs and desires? Well, and that's kind of the conundrum, I think, because a lot of people think that's why they should do that. Yeah. But um, I had had a really good analogy is uh, is if you if you're holding the door for somebody uh, when they're coming into a new building and when they walk through the door, if they don't say thank you and you get annoyed, um, you've just performed performed an act of service. But you had an expectation attached to that. Oh, that's good. And. Yeah, and so so what happens is a lot of times we are we've been people pleasing so much we're worried about what everybody else thinks, yeah. and we're trying to we're trying to please them so that we can get love or affection or you know um, approval in return. 
Yeah, and, and we better have that love for ourselves before we, because that's no way to, uh, you know, just depend upon others to give us uh, self-esteem and love. I love in the Bible where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> you better love yourself first <laughs> along with your neighbor. Or it's not a hundred percent. I know, and, and I think if you if you if you do, uh, you know, spend some more time, you know, getting your own needs met, uh, then you're you're more well balanced, and then I think yeah. you're at a better level to serve others. So, what should we look uh, for to determine if, if you are an excessive people pleaser? Uh, what are some of the most uh, common characteristics? Well, I think um, one of the number one things is that you feel you basically feel burnt out. Yeah. Uh, people who are chronic people pleasers, they're always looking, you know, for people to, you know, acknowledge them or give them recognition yeah. in a certain yeah. way. And a lot of times they don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and then they so get true. then they get resentful. <laughs> and then they also so, go out of their way to avoid conflict. And that makes them mad <laughs> and burned out. Well, a hundred percent, because uh, I, we call it the difference between hard, easy or easy, hard. And uh, when you have a conflict, sometimes it's hard at the beginning because it's uncomfortable, but it makes the future easier. Yeah. Um, but if if we just try that instant gratification and not deal with the problem right away, that's called easy. And then later on, you get upset, and then it's hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. So why is it that people pleasers get sick more often? What are some of the consequences of routinely uh, sacrificing self to please others? Well, uh, and like as a chiropractor, this is where I, I see this a lot because yeah. your your nervous system, which is kind of is your brain, your spinal cord, controls everything in your body, and it's kind of yeah. like the software system of your body, yeah. and it can be in one of two states. It can either be in a sympathetic, which is the fight or flight mode, or it can be in the parasympathetic, which is rest and repair or rest yeah. and digest mode. Yeah. So it it just can't be in both at the same time. Right. So when we're always worried about what other people are, are saying, you know, and we don't, and, or what, trying to please other people, that can fire off the stress response. Oh. And the stress response is great in the short term, because yeah. that could help you if a bear is going to attack you. Yeah. <laughs> you may have some of those up in uh, Edmonton. <laughs> exactly. You don't have too yeah. many down here. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the thing is, is that if your stress response stays on for a long period of time, there are certain things that happen. Yeah. You, you start to lose brain function. You lose yeah. your memory. You have a hard time recalling. You have a hard time thinking before you do stuff. Uh, you know, so I, I always say when you're talking to your wife, it's not to be, it's not a good state to be in <laughs> when you're talking <laughs> to your significant other. Yeah. Um, another, th- another thing that happens is your blood pressure goes up. Your resting mm-hmm. heart rate goes up. Yeah. Your breathing decreases. And your digestive system stops working as good, and so does your immune system. Yeah. So uh, that, uh, one of the, the interesting things is, according to the American Medical Association, 60% of all disease is caused from chronic stress. Wow. That's amazing. So, and it affects your whole body. Yeah. Well, and your funny, I do t- talk. No, I don't mean to interrupt, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, I, you know, I, I do quite a few different talks for different organizations. And when I ask people, what are the, what are the, what are symptoms of stress? Yeah. Um, they'll give you every single thing that there is from <laughs> headaches to digestive problems, to sleeping, to tired, to like, it's, yeah. it, it causes so much stuff. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, your book is titled The Underdog Curse. What is the curse, and how do we define an underdog mindset, and why do those of us who are crunch people pleasers fall into this unfortunate mindset? Yeah, well, I think the the underdog mindset is is like I think there's like two different types of underdogs. There's the internal underdog and the external underdog. Oh, I see. and and the external underdog is when other people think that you'd be an underdog. Oh, um, and, and and so that doesn't determine your future because there's lots of people who other people thought they were an underdog, but they had a really good drive and desire inside, yeah. and that they succeeded. But yeah. if someone internally feels like they're an underdog, see, there's some benefits to being an underdog that we want to address. And, yeah. and one is you seem to get more support from others when oh. you're an underdog. Huh. And there's also less expectation um, of succeeding. Like yeah. you can give something a go and you can fail and uh, everyone's like, oh, that's okay. You're an underdog. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You point out that when we're younger, we're more uh, it's more advantageous to be seen as an underdog, I guess, or, to, or it's better for us to be underdogs when we're young, before we have too much to lose. <laughs> well, but the thing, and that that's what the underdog curse is, is that sometimes, and this is what happened to me, is that yeah. you almost get addicted to being an underdog. So oh, if you. So if you ever succeed, so for example, like I, uh, I, in, in my book, I have a little story about uh, coming from a small town playing basketball and I came to the big city in high school yeah. and I was an underdog. I was like the little kid from a small town. I made the team and then our team won provincials, which would be like the state championship in the oh, United wow. States. Wow. And then I went from the big city and then I played college in a little, like in a more small college town. Oh, I and now and now I was expected to be the big shot from the city, so I was no longer the underdog. And <laughs> when I was 19, I didn't know how to handle it, so I sabotaged oh. my success. Yeah, that's so, Yeah, so the, the goal is that if we get stuck in that underdog mindset, we're subconsciously sabotaging our success always to be an underdog just so that we can get the attention and the approval of others. And you, you point out that uh, once we have something to lose then that's that's the time we don't want to be underdogs anymore have that mentality i guess well it, it actually creates stress so like for example if if you're always looking for external feedback yeah. and now you're expected to win and you're trying to win based on the expectations of others that's very stressful Oh, yeah. um, and I, I always like to use sports as an analogy because if you have someone who's like Michael Jordan, yeah. um, he had an internal drive that was very good where everyone expected him to win, but he didn't really care about the other people. He was just internally driven, and he was yeah. okay with being the best in the world. Yeah. Some people need that external feedback, and and you know it's kind of like the you know the one hit wonders, right? Yeah. Where they they succeed one time. And then they can't handle that success, and then they just kind of fall apart. Yeah, you. Uh, it's interesting. In your book, you talk about the authenticity clash that causes life's great plateau. And what is that authenticity clash, and what is life's great plateau? I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's kind of two things. Authenticity, like, uh, this is the one challenge with being a people pleaser, is that because you're trying to be all things to all people, you're actually taking away your true authentic self and, and, you, oh. and you're not even exposing your true authentic self to them. Huh. Yeah. Because be, no one knows who you are because you're just trying to please everybody else. Yeah. 
and then and then what happens is uh, most people will stagnate in their life um, yeah. because because they're kind of stuck in pleasing others or stuck in that underdog mindset. Yeah. And and deep down inside, you know, you're called for a bigger reason. Yeah. But you're just too scared to take it. So it's kind of like I call it life's great plateau because it can be any time in your life. It could be when you're younger. It can be when you're older. But it's kind of when you get stalled out because you're afraid to take maybe a little bit of a risk, um, yeah. you know, to do something new that might be quite fulfilling. But short term, it might be a little bit uncomfortable. So um, I think the whole thing is people who have the underdog curse or people pleasers, if 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 this book can help them to you know, tap into who their true self self is, yeah. then you actually give the gift of who authentically you truly are to the yeah. world. Yeah, that's that's such a key thing to uh, to fulfill life's purpose, what we we were created for. But the, well, for underdogs, what are the three great saboteurs of success, and what actions can we take to overcome them? You talk about three great saboteurs. Yeah, totally. One one is 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 can be uh, like your external environment. Yeah. And the the external environment could be where you live. So for example, um, I lived in a little small town and I wanted to be a really good basketball player, yeah. um, but there wasn't very good competition around. Oh, yeah. So, so if, if I wasn't, um, you know, strong enough to step out of that, to move to the big city, I would have been stuck. I would yeah. have been stuck there. So you got to actually, sometimes you need to move. <laughs> yeah. Right. <Sure. laughs> So one is your location, your external environment. The second thing would be the people you hang around with. Oh, yeah. Um, If you're hanging around with a bunch of people with uh, low expectations or complainers and, uh, you know, people dissatisfied, they really can pull you down. (laughs) A hundred percent. And... And there's so there's lots of research that, you know, some people say, well, you know, the people I hang around with, they don't affect me very much. But research proves the opposite. They definitely do. (laughs) They can be a good influence or they can be a bad influence. So it's really important to kind of uh, do that inventory to see you hang around with. And then the third one is basically your thinking process. So that would be really like getting inside and and kind of analyzing what you're doing. Like, am I doing this because I really want to do this or am I doing this because someone else wants me to do that? Yeah, knowledge is such a large part of overcoming those difficulties. Well, part two of your book is a step-by-step plan for breaking the underdog curse. And uh, I thought that was great. But uh, let's talk briefly about a couple of steps. How best can you and I continue to grow throughout our middle years without burnout? Any suggestions on avoiding burnout? Well, I think the number one thing is we need to get a hold of our health. Uh, because typically, if you've been in the underdog curse or you've been kind of a chronic people pleaser, it wears down your energy and it, and it oh. starts to wear down your health. Yeah. So I think the number one thing we can do is, is start to do kind of some of the basics, like getting out walking, uh, getting some more exercise. Yeah. Um, on the on the male aspect of it, men need to do some kind of resistance training to build up a little bit more muscle oh, because... Yeah. Because if if we don't, men become more feminine. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I, that, that was when I found that out. That was my motivation enough to work out more. So that was good when I got burned out. So and, and then the ironic thing is, is women on the other hand, when women get really stressed out, they so so for example, men they'll they'll lose testosterone as they oh, get yeah. stressed out. Yeah. Uh, women on the other hand, when they get really stressed out, they get more testosterone. So it, it's it's, Maybe they it's quite the rolls. <laughs> well, they actually it almost some of them will like if you yeah. see 
people who are in their, you know, above 50s and they've had chronic stress, you know, sometimes women will start to get a little bit more body hair. They actually will look more male. And then if you look at the male, they'll start to kind of become more female. So I have seen that a few times. Yeah, and, and I think it's just because, you know, we're designed, like male are designed to be a little bit more physical. And, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm talking 80-20 here because there's yeah. never absolutes. So we want to no. be, be sure that there's no absolutes. But for men, again, we really want to get some, some strength. And for women, most of the time women are more connective. So, so for example, a, a guy could go by themselves to a gym and lift some weights or, or get a trainer and just get a little bit, do some resistance training to get a little bit stronger. Yeah. And and women are more, uh, they connect with others, right? So if yeah. they went out and walked uh, together with a friend and walked for an hour, that would be really healing for a woman. Yeah. Um, that's why they like Zumba, aerobics, water aerobics, where they do stuff in groups because women have a tendency to, to have a higher need for connection, yeah. while men have a typical more need for that physicality. Oh, well, that's fascinating. Well, let's talk a bit about your five-star book, The Underdog Curse, The Cause, The Cure, and The Road to Success. As a successful chiropractor of 17 years, what motivated you to add to your workload by writing this book? Um, well, it was kind of a, it was a little bit of a sad story, but uh, one of my my best friends uh, I actually met as a patient. He uh, he came into my office and and once he was under care for for I think probably about three or four months, he was like, hey, you know, I think we'd really drive, so let's go golfing. And so mm-hmm. I said, sure, we could go golfing. My wife and his wife and. He called back and had the had the uh, tea time booked like that afternoon. I'm like, holy cow! That's, he was like on it. So we went golfing, and from that moment on, we developed a really really great friendship where we went on yeah. holidays, like for Christmas or yeah. for New Year's, and in the summer. And I was par- unfortunately one of the team that helped diagnose him with ALS. Oh, that's horrible. And uh, and uh, I remember the night we went out for dinner, I had a, one of the top chiropractic neurologists, his name's Dr. Michael Hall from Dallas, Texas, in town. I had him here for a seminar, and I wanted him to meet Rob to find out what was going on. And we we're sitting down at the table, and I was all excited because, you know, this is the smartest smartest neurologist I know, and yeah. he could come up with it. We hadn't determined what was wrong yet, and so I was really excited to find out what we could do to help him. And uh, Dr. Hall didn't say one word through the whole dinner. And I was almost kicking him under the table saying, hey, come on, give us give us some information. And uh, on the ride home, when I drove him back to his hotel, I'm like, why didn't you say anything about like what we can do for Rob? And he said, he said, I just I'm really sorry, Don. He said, but uh, but I think Rob has atypical ALS. And I was just like, oh, because it's it just your stomach drops because. Even if someone has cancer, at least you have a chance, right? Uh, yeah. But ALS, it's like two to four year life expectancy, and and so for the next two years, we just ended up doing all the last things with Rob. Like I've never had, I've never had the opportunity to do that with yeah. someone where you know you skate for the last time, you ski yeah. for the last time, you golf for the last time, he walked for the last time, oh, talked wow. for the last time, and just to see him go through that torture uh, was just brutal, and so it kind of gave me a a wake up call saying, Hey, wh- what kind of things have I been putting off that I've really wanted to do? Because Rob had lots of stuff he wanted to do. He was only 45 years old when he died. And, uh, he left a lot of stuff on the table. Like he, he would have loved to do a lot more stuff. So I'm like, we don't know how long we have to live. No. Um, so why am I, you know, writing a book, you're always scared. Oh, what if people don't like it? <laughs> right. <laughs> especially as an old chronic people pleaser. So I'm like, you just got to get it done. So he he was my inspiration. That's such a great inspiration for all of us at middle age to uh, 
think of all of the, you know, we don't know how much our time is, so let's, and the, the saddest is the people that think all of the great accomplishments are behind them, and it's just a, you know, sort of slush slushing through or whatever you want to call it until retirement. But uh, well, how would you describe yeah. uh, what makes your book distinct from all the other self-help books out there? I know it, it's an excellent book, but uh, how is it distinct? Well, I, I think, and this is this was actually the ironic thing. That's why I think everybody out there should write a book, because it. I, I basically had, you know, I've had pro- probably about anywhere between five to seven great mentors over the years. Yeah. And, you know, there there's some similarities between some of them, what they talk about, but there's only one unique experience. And so I have a lot of stories in my book, um, yeah. which are the experience of, of how I implemented stuff and what yeah. what I discovered in my own life. And whenever you give someone a common principle of personal development and and they do it in their own experience, it's it's a unique story because no one will ever experience that like that individual person. No. So, stories so it's, are such great motivators. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that it's unique because I have quite a few stories. Quite a few are funny. Quite a few are actually embarrassing. I have some of my patients who have said, I have never seen such a personal book, read such a personal book in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? There, but there's some stuff that you know you're not proud of, some things yeah. that, that happened in your life. But when you get it out there, it sets you free because that's well, that, that, that authentic- authenticity you're talking about. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. And I think people people are tired of the false, you know, the people that are that are kind of full of it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think people are 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 wanting to experience more authentic people cuz yeah, as, we, as cause, you point out, we all want authenticity in others and in circumstances, but sometimes we hide from ourselves the fact that we're not being authentic with ourselves. Right. Well, where should listeners go to preview and purchase your book? Where's the best place to do that? Well, best place it's available on Amazon.com and on and Kindle. Oh, I see. And uh, they can also, uh, you know, if they want to kind of follow some of my stuff, they can follow me on Facebook. So I'm at Facebook.com/slash Like Doctor Don. Oh. And uh, they can also check out our website. My website at uh, www.theunderdogcurse.com. Yeah, that was an excellent uh, website, and uh, you also it talks about your speaking and your coaching, and uh, I think there's a blog on there, and uh, so I would highly recommend that, the doc, theunderdogcurse.com. You bet. And, uh, and to conclude, as we talk about on this program practically every week, at middle age, all it's all too easy to conclude that our best days are behind us and that we really don't deserve any more uh, joy or success in life beyond what we currently have and I've said it before and I'll say it again that's pure hogwash and I guess that a vast majority of us aren't totally satisfied with every aspect of our lives today although we may try to tell ourselves that we're okay and Dr. Don calls it the authenticity gap and as I like to say wake up right now this very day may be the ideal to uh, climb off life's great plateau as he calls it to define and refresh your values, your goals, and your targets for tomorrow. And he's got a a step-by-step game plan for you to do that. And uh, it's time to slip from the underdog title and to start behaving like the miraculous individual you were created to be. And thank you, Dr. Don McDonald, and best of success in the sale of your book and in your coaching, speaking, and your uh, practice. 
Thanks, and I hope uh, some of your listeners got some good nuggets today. Well, we certainly hope so, and uh, may spring come soon to cold Alberta. Yeah, amen. (laughs) Well, it's March, so spring is just around the corner. As the old saying goes, spring is the season for love. But what if you or someone close to you is missing out? maybe recently widowed or divorced at middle age. So uh, for so many years, are you uh, contemplating re-entry into the dating scene? Or maybe you've been dating for some time now, but routinely enter into dead-end relationships. You always seem to break up feeling hollow. Or you want to avoid the same mistakes you made in your broken marriage or failed prior relationships. What did I do wrong and what warning signs did I miss? And this spring, who better to discuss the keys to successful love and marriage than our frequent guest, Dr. Terry Orbach, the love doctor. And better yet, she's here to introduce her brand new 90-minute video course titled How to Find Love in Seven Days. And to refresh your memory, Dr. Terry Orbach is a marriage and relationship therapist with 28 years experience. She's also a college professor at Oakland University, known to thousands in TV, radio, national magazines, and online as a trusted relationship expert. She's author of six books on various aspects of love and marriage. And hello, Dr. Terry, and welcome back to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Oh, thanks for having me, Roy. I always love coming on your program. Well, you tell us that finding love is 100% possible, and on your video you offer a step-by-step guide to true love. And obviously we don't have time to preview the entire 90-minute video course, but can you suggest how to get started? How should we launch our uh, seven-day journey to find Mr. or Ms. Wright? Well, (laughs) my video course is a great way to find love. I do think it's 100% possible, and my video course gives you that step-by-step approach or guide based on science-based strategies, Roy. So it's 90 minutes. I give a workbook as well that's chock full of quizzes, exercises, applications, and take-home strategies. So what should we do to get started other than uh, buy the course, obviously, but uh, if there was a first stage, how would we come out of our stupor and and get into it? Well, I think the first thing that's so important, Roy, is that we all let go of the past, the emotional baggage that's connected to the past, because as you said even in the introduction, Many people are connected to a past relationship, a past former partner that they haven't let go yet. And if you're strongly connected emotionally to the past, you can't be fully present and move forward. Yeah, especially if you're mournful over a past, uh, maybe you still love the person you broke up with. And uh, if you keep thinking about that relationship and not seeking a new relationship, entirely new relationship, it's not going to be very productive, I wouldn't think. That's exactly it. So if you are strongly connected positively, like you said, still in love, or negatively, you're very angry, you're very frustrated about the past, you can't fully be present in the, in the future or in a new relationship. So even if you start dating, you're comparing that person to the past, you're not emotionally present, and you can't see that person 
for who they really are and whether or not they are a good match for you. So the first thing I encourage people to do is try to let go of those emotions. One of the things I learned in my long-term study on marriage, divorce, and repartnering is that when an individual can say, I don't feel much of anything toward an ex, I'm neutral, that was when they were significantly more likely to find love again. Yeah, that's great. Well, what if you've had lots of past relationships, but you still haven't found the one who will last a lifetime, and you're on the verge of giving up? Uh, what What have you been missing uh, that your video will help you solve? That uh, you know what what's been going wrong at uh, in all mm-hmm. these past relationships if you keep well, bouncing around. A- It's such a good question, Roy, and it's a question that I actually get from a lot of singles, 30, 40, 50, 60, and 70 years old. They're telling me that they just haven't found the right person. And most people, incorrectly, are thinking that it has to do with the people that they're meeting or where they're meeting people. And what I talk about in this video course is that it really is all within you. What you need to really do is think about your own life key values, what's important to you, and what are the partner qualities that you need in a partner rather than want. I think a lot of people want... You have to figure out what you're really looking for rather than, uh, you know, just try to mold yourself into what you think the partner wants. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or what you want in a partner rather than what you need. I mean, I want a lot of things in life, right? But they might not always be right for me. So, you know, I think people need to sit back and say, what do I really need? Who am I? And what are the qualities in a partner that I need to be happy or to, to have a relationship which is good and healthy yeah. for me. Well, here's a concern for a lot of us in middle age attempting to re-enter the dating scene. How do we overcome fear of rejection? Most of us aren't as physically attractive as we were in our 20s, wrinkles, pot bellies, sags, whatever, and maybe our finances or career status aren't that great. Any suggestions on how best to restore confidence before we put ourselves out there? <laughs> Well, I think first to remember that that's a very common feeling, a very common situation. Yes, we've changed physically. Yes, things have changed financially. So we're all feeling that. And when we realize that it's not just us as an individual or we're not unique and that most people are feeling that way, that's the first thing that I recommend. And second, I recommend that everyone sit down and write five qualities that they like about themselves, strengths, positive things. I am optimistic. I have a great smile. I'm a hard worker. Whatever those qualities may be that you like within yourself, write them on a piece of paper and look at the piece of paper every single day to remember what you are rather than what you're not. Because when we focus on the negatives, then we're not going to feel good about ourselves. But when we focus on the positives, we gain strength and confidence. What if you're frequently aroused? I love this. Uh, You're frequently aroused by the person you date, but your relationships never seem to translate into uh, lasting love. Can you give us a couple clues to uh, tell us whether uh, a relationship is just lust or it's genuine love? I love you have a video on your uh, website about that as well. (laughs) 
Yes, I did a, a TEDx talk on is it lust or is it love? <laughs> the first thing that you want to look at in terms of whether or not something is love is that do you talk about you and your partner as a we or do you continue to say I statement? So if I asked you what you did last weekend, would you say I went to the movie, I went out to dinner, or would you say we went out to dinner, we went to a movie. <laughs> when you're in love, you think of yourselves as a we rather than an I. And another oh, yeah. great signal would be that you want your friends and family to get along with this person. So when yeah. we're in lust, we don't care about anybody else. Yeah. We don't want to show off our friends. the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> but when we're in love, we want the people that are important to us to get yeah. along with our partner. Yeah. And we want those people that are important to us to spend time with that person. Yeah. So if that's the case, that's love rather oh. than lust. Yeah. No, that's, those are such good points. And uh, I'd highly recommend people go and uh, look at that video on your website as well. But, uh, oh, so where you. should we go to obtain <laughs> your new video course, How to Find Love in Seven Days? Where is the best place to do that? Well, you want to go to my website, Dr. Terry, D-R-T-E-R-R-I, thelovedoctor.com, all oh, one word, drterrythelovedoctor.com. And on my page, there is a tab or a specific page that says courses. Just click that tab and you will go straight to that course where you can purchase it. Oh, that's great. But uh, Well, in conclusion, perhaps it was stimulating, even downright fun in your 20s and 30s to play the field, moving from one brief relationship to another. On the other hand, maybe you married your high school or college sweetheart and never really participated in the adult singles dating scene. But for whatever reason, now you're at middle age and alone, and there's a real void in your life that only a genuine, full, and lasting romantic relationship can fulfill. And it's not just sex. You seek a deep body and soul connection to another human being for the long haul. And the good news is the love doctor tells us that finding and keeping love is 100% possible. And you, like everyone else, needs and deserves that love. And whether you're fully uh, committed to forming a lifelong relationship in the early stages of a promising romance or just contemplating get back, getting back into the dating scene, I highly recommend you preview Dr. Terry Orvick's powerful new 90-minute course, How to Find Love in Seven Days. And boy, that's not a lot of time. <laughs> and you'll find the video course is very affordable, far less than treating a date to dinner and a movie. And visit uh, the Love Doctor's website, drterrythelovedoctor.com, and that's D-R instead of spelling out the full word doctor. And she uh, offers a proven step-by-step process to find the love that will last a lifetime, the one you've been looking forward to or looking for for so long. And thanks so much, Dr. Terry, for returning, and best of success on the sale of your video course. Thanks so much, Roy. Everyone needs and deserves love. Yes, that's for sure. Now let's all go out and make this a great day. Why can't every day be like Valentine's Day? Not just a great day for couples, but a day to practice simple acts of kindness and express gratitude to everyone in your life, family, friends, children, including yourself, 
And that's it for today. Tune in next week to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 